It's Monday the 31st of January 2022. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland. The programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. My guest this week is Jesper Christensen, a cognitive semiotician specialising in communication, meaning and gender. Welcome to you. Thank you. Not your first time on the show? No. What's it, third now? Fourth? Third now. First yeah. first over Zoom. Yeah, this is, um, but it's the first time we're doing it on Zoom. Um, so apologies for the lower sound quality this week. But we're going to make the show an extra 10.5% higher quality than usual. So something to look forward to. Um, yeah, in the news worry. this week, uh, the, there was the announcement of the hoped-for removal of all remaining COVID restrictions in three stages, starting last Friday and ending hopefully in mid-March. Bars are open again and the General Assembly limit is now 50 people. Likely related to the COVID restrictions is the fact that the economy is very much under discussion again as well. Inflation is spiking and there are concerns that hospitality and tourism sectors might be too weak to bounce back to full capacity without government help. Some business leaders fear that the million or so tourists expected this year might not find enough companies with the capacity to serve their needs. Sweden won the European Handball Championship this weekend, but the highest scorer in the competition overall was Iceland's Omar Inki Magnusson. Congratulations to him. With local elections coming up in May and a new campaign called Yautak is aiming to reach all existing councillors to remind them of the importance of diversity on each party's list ahead of the election. Solveig Anna Jonsdottir has announced that she is going to stand for election to get her old job back as the chair of the Epling Union. And Alda Music has been bought out by Universal Records, a move that could mean big change for the Icelandic music industry. So where would you like to start? Um, I don't know. What is, is probably the most relevant or important is probably the COVID restrictions, right? Like, yeah. I mean, fairly important to cover. It's not, we do end up talking about this every week, um, but it's not okay. always good news. <laughs> uh, and this time yeah. it does seem to be good news. Yeah. <laughs> Should I be the fly in the ointment then and bring it back Go to ahead. bad news? Go ahead. No, I don't know. I just, I just feel like uh, at one point I had a conversation with a friend of mine who has small children and it really opened my eyes to the fact that I, I you know, it doesn't really affect me that much, whether we're close or open, actually. Like I, like, I mean, I can't go to a bar, which I don't really do much in the first place because I'm so cool. Um, but uh, like for people with, uh, like the working families and for people who are uh, immunocompromised, uh, possibly disabled, this pandemic, this quarantine has not, like for, for people who are, who are immunocompromised, the quarantine has not ended in the three years. Like this is just making it more dangerous and difficult for them. And for uh, children with, uh, for families with small children, it's um, it it puts them into the this like yo-yo pattern. I, I won't speak for them, obviously. Maybe they're maybe a lot of them are pleased with it. Maybe they're not, but like it's gonna be the same. A kid from kindergarten got COVID or got a risk of COVID. So now we have to isolate and I have to take work off for three days or a week or ten days. And what is my employer gonna like? All these things are just gonna keep happening and happen again. Mm. Um, Although they did also change so, the quarantine rules, didn't they? Um, yeah, so, they lowered now, right? Yeah, that's right. Especially for children, they're kind of exempt. Um, obviously, if children get COVID, they have to isolate. But if they come yeah. into contact with classmates that have it, they don't have to quarantine anymore. 
which is making some difference, I assume. Yeah, let's just hope it doesn't mean more spreading of the virus. I, I don't know. I, yeah. Sure, we could be happy about the, the lessening of, of the of the rules or of the of the restrictions, but we also all just want it to be over and it's just not. And it's it's not going to be for a while yet. And I don't know. I I if I can speak personally, like I I sometimes have this like sudden awareness that I am traumatized by this, by this pandemic. And, you know, I stop every once in a while and like, you can just feel when you have a cold or you have like a cough and you wake up with a sore throat and you just are triggered. Like you just, there's just this abyss of, of what we have been going through. So I get that everybody wants it to be over and, but it's just, it's been so incredibly sad and so incredibly stressful and traumatic to go through this. And, but that doesn't mean that it's over and it doesn't mean that, that we necessarily get to relax the restrictions as much as we'd like, mm. but you know. It, I mean, it, it does seem though that the, the, the virus at the moment is just out of control, regardless of the restrictions in place. So, yeah, you know, the, we've had this 10 person assembly limit for most of the year, starting at the start of January, and it made precisely no obvious difference so yeah and and still far fewer people are going to hospital with it so that's always good yeah i mean overall i as the same time as i as i have this abyss i'm managing i'm also trying to be very hard to be optimistic and like take it all as good news that omicron is a weaker variant and and that there's a good chance that we can build up some sort of resistance and we have a good vaccination program and like all in all we are doing good but we are going through one of the most traumatic and like society defining events of modern history since World War II. And it is incredibly stressful. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's okay to not be all right. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and it's affecting obviously people, everybody in, in one way or another. But um, if we could maybe move on to the economic side briefly because jobs are as important now as they ever were. And so much of the, you know, the longer this goes on, the more stress the economy is under. And this is true around the world, yeah. got inflation spiking everywhere. And they're talking this weekend about how little power the central bank has to deal with this inflation because they're calling it imported. Um, yeah. You know, what's it like um, uh, raw material costs are higher than ever, transport costs are higher than ever. And there's not a lot, that any one country can do about that, apart from sort of mm. suck it up and try and move on. But it might be easier said than done. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I don't really have a lot. Like, it just becomes, it, it would be so good if we could just, you know, blank check this whole thing. I, I realize that's maybe not how economics works, but like, just since I say that, like, all like forgive debts, like forgive countries' debts and stuff, like all these things that are impacting the economy. So we could actually just make sure that we are not running the economy on like lives that are being lost to do to this. Uh, there are there is a need for a restriction and there's a need for like protecting people who are who are literally 
have a risk for their lives if they're exposed and and, and that just often gets lost in an economic discussion about like our our ability to work this way but i get that like it is it's a highly complicated and and extremely uh you know when you say like things like raw materials like that is so so difficult to manage like it's so such a such a such a very very difficult because we do need not just run business but to just have the consumer products that we need um we 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 need raw materials i mean we need to be able to import much more freely than we are and it's yeah it's just a big sucky thing <laughs> yeah it is and then there's this talk about the travel industry specifically the hospitality industry that have suffered so much uh, and yeah. again this month january was a really bad month apparently the worst in in, in many people's memory how would they bounce back because their 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 reserves their resilience are kind of at their end now and so yeah hopefully maybe we get this million tourists this year but will the mm. companies be there to help them will the companies be able to get enough staff will they you know it's that's another question that needs to be answered yeah i mean here I can draw on my expertise, not as a cognitive statistician, but as a person who works for a major tourist company in a in a shop clerk capacity. Um, although, I mean, that obviously that's a very much a toad-eyed view, but but uh, I, I feel like we, we haven't really had much of a, we've had a let up obviously, but nothing as extreme as you would think, considering there's a pandemic going around. We, we still have plenty of customers and we still have, uh, we're, we're still making, like, a, I feel, a good amount of money uh, quite often. Um, uh, so I'm fairly hopeful that uh, I, I, along with the airline companies, fairly hopeful that we will get uh, as many tourists as we are expecting or more, like this million, uh, uh, get back to like a million tourists. But yeah, I can, I can certainly also see like if we can't have, if we don't have the hotels and the Airbnbs and the the restaurants and like all the the things yeah that that is a problem mm. but um yeah and restaurants well, hopefully we'll get a, you mentioned yeah like, they've really had it hard and, and certainly bars and, and nightclubs have not that they're perhaps essential services but in a tourism capacity they you know they're, they're very important yeah and, yeah how was january from that perspective you talk about personal experience was january yeah a lot worse um, I feel like it was pretty much a normal uh, lull in customers, uh, but obviously I don't. <laughs> I am as low ranking as she gets, so I don't have the numbers in front of me. But I feel like we have had years where where it's much slower when there is not a pandemic. Um, so it feels fairly like normal to me um, that uh, like the amount of customers that we have for for the off season. Uh, but obviously, like, like who knows if there are other areas that are that are more, let's see, a greater impact. Um, but yeah, I, I I feel like it's it's not that unusual right now, which is surprising to me, obviously. But hmm. okay, um, unless you've got anything else to add, maybe we should move on to a different topic. No. Okay, what would you like to talk about next? Should we talk about how people are scaring my mother? <laughs> this is in relation to um handball right yes yeah that was a 
a bit of an unfortunate story there, wasn't it? Um, so if Iceland were going to get through to the semi-final of the handball championships in the European handball championships, they had to beat Montenegro and trust Denmark to beat France. And that didn't happen. France beat Denmark right at the end. And, and there was this impression, perhaps, that the Danish team, having got through already, gave up because they didn't need to win. And, and some people in Iceland were upset about this. Yeah. <laughs> I won't speak to the, uh, the actual actions of the Danish handball team because I didn't watch the, the game and I I don't care much. But the reaction from, from, uh, from Icelanders, the anger, the ire, this is inspired. Uh, is I, I, you mentioned that like people have sent death threats to the Danish team, and that's obviously or to players, and that, and that's obviously uh, very not funny. But the rest of it I find a little a little hilarious because it is just handball. But uh, what else was there? Uh, you mentioned that uh, that there were this has uh, reignited discussions of removing the crown from the day the Icelandic coat of arms, which. Sure. Oh, from Go the top it. of Parliament oh. building. Yeah. Oh, it's the top of Parliament building. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, and uh, and like some people wrote like op-eds or like uh, think pieces on it and, and stuff like that, as far as I, I've heard. Yeah. And then obviously my, my mother warning me that I should not tell Icelanders that I'm Danish because we're very unpopular with them. So <laughs> a bit of worry for my mother back in Denmark. <laughs> this seems like one of those things that blows over quickly though. It might have been yeah, yeah. horribly dangerous for you on the streets of Iceland for one day. Um, but <laughs> it's probably forgotten now. It's a little bit like yeah, when Denmark some... neglects to give us points in Eurovision. <laughs> yeah. Which by the way, does happen sometimes. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it does. It's a... Uh... Your business is so funny as a major diplomatic event. In the Nordic countries. In the Nordic, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Balkans, I think. But yeah. It's um, yeah, okay. So Sweden went on to win the handball. So for them, well done. Um, Iceland's Omar Ingi Magnusson was the highest scorer of the competition overall. Which I think is pretty good for a team that didn't make it to the semifinals. Very good. Uh, just for the record, I'm reading here, he scored 59 mm -hmm. goals, which was 12 more than Denmark's Mikkel Hansen in second place. Holy moly. Holy that's moly. a lot. Of, that's that's very impressive. I know. I mean, it's not football. That would be truly impressive if it was football. That would be very impressive. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you do feel safe still. You haven't yes, been threatened. Yes, I... Yeah, I, I'm back to wearing my uh, my Danish flag uh, raincoat and uh, excellent. Yes, and uh, just... the serious point that behind that, that, if these death threats were from Icelandic fans and if they were as serious as they sound, obviously no one's hopefully going to die. But sending these things is illegal, and it's really not mm -hmm. okay. Um, it's really not okay now, no. especially when it's a team that you weren't playing against. Who lost yeah. their match? I mean, <laughs> it's a bit. Cruel. Yeah, and I mean, it's also like, do you do that to a team that you did play against? Like, does that happen? Like, normally when it's a team that you play against, you just sort of accept the loss, right? Well, but yeah. because it's like almost seen as a political maneuver, that's that it's inspiring all this this ire. That uh, that's quite unusual mm. for for fan behavior. But uh, yeah, yeah. 
Um, okay, so there was the quality campaign for the local elections, um, union, music industry. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, so equality, uh, how are we phrasing it? Equality measures need to be taken for, from the people, from the parties uh, entering the local election. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's this campaign, it's, it's run by the uh, Directorate of Equality with a few other agencies, including the Women's Rights Association. Uh, and they're just reminding all of the parties in all of the municipalities that they should do all they can to make their lists as diverse as possible, um, mm -hmm. in their opinion. But yeah, I think probably in most people's opinion. Uh, so it seems like a positive step, a good campaign. Whether or not it's needed, I don't know. I don't know, has it existed before? The campaign I don't think has, no. Okay, well then um, I don't know if there's a uh, explicit need for it. I don't know if anybody has run the numbers. I'm gonna go ahead and guess that the uh, majority of elected officials uh, is white and male <laughs> because that's, that's a trend we're seeing worldwide. Um, so, on those grounds alone, I would I would think that it's actually a good idea to to run the campaign and, and run a campaign continuously to to remind people that um, that there might be other uh, qualified candidates for for positions. Um, yeah, uh, and I don't know what criteria they're running this uh, if there are, are is strictly a gender. Um, gender equality or if they're also thinking uh, other demographics like uh, ethnicity and uh, sexual orientation and, and like these sort of gender identity, these sort of uh, factors, which are also important. Both, I think, but the, yeah, I think yes. um, gender equality is, is top of the list, but yeah, I think it is supposed to be all areas. Marvelous. Um, my understanding is though that it's a double pronged problem because they want the diversity and, and lots of different people to represent the societies that they are representing uh, to be in councils. But at the same time, there's a shortage of people to run for councils. And yeah. It's not a very attractive role. Because mm. um, apparently it's a lot of hard work and they're essentially volunteers. I don't think, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know what they, do they get paid anything? Probably. I'm I'm not sure, but I, I know that like if you're working within a a uh, within an organization like a political party, there's a lot of and if you're the type of person who's going to be considered to to run for an election, I imagine that you would have to be viewed as someone who has put in a lot of work, mm -hmm. and that's very hard to like. It's a lot of time and it's a lot of effort and a lot of like I get that there's a shortage because I have never really been a politically uh, I've never worked in that capacity. I've, I was never in like a youth, uh, a youth party, uh, or as a as a as a youth, or or as, as in, uh, involve myself in any sort of political organization. So like, uh, because it does seem like a lot of work, and I'm not that a big fan of discussing things. So yeah, yeah it uh, I can understand why there would be a shortage. Especially of diverse, uh, diverse voices, but like th that sounds like there should be uh, another 
another effort to get people into uh, uh, political life. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's possible that they do already have the diversity, but maybe there's a prejudice to who's at the top of the list. Maybe that's an element there because obviously no, no party gets all of their list elected. Um, yeah. Usually. So prioritizing people differently and putting, you know, giving more diverse group of people the chance of actually being elected and getting into the councils. That's something they can presumably do. Yeah. That's, let's, let's hope that they are. Yeah. Let's hope they can. Yeah. yeah. Um, local elections are different to Althingi elections because people who are not citizens can vote. Um, oh, I see. Anyone that's lived here for three years or longer can vote. Um, oh. Anyone that is from one of the Nordic countries can vote right away after moving to Iceland. So that's <laughs> something to bear in mind. Can you run if you are not a native Icelander or, or uh, a citizen? I do don't know it? for certain, but I think so. Okay, well, that would be a place to uh, to to look for recruitable people would be in uh, possibly refugees or people of, of former refugee status. Indeed. Yeah, it's um, local politics is sometimes not glamorous. It's sometimes not well looked upon, but it is the area of politics that perhaps touches us most on a day-to-day -day basis and mm -hmm. how your town or city is run has real concrete impact on our lives how the roads are set yeah. up what sort of public transport there is uh, yeah and, and, and all the rest so we can all have yeah. an effect it's very important yeah and, we're, and, and more powerful than we would really think <laughs> um so there is a website called kostnigar.as i believe um which has all of the information about elections on it uh, so encourage people to check that out. Um, we've got just a couple of minutes left. Time is flying. Um, but shall we talk about uh, the music industry? Yeah, sure. Because That's Universal Records coming into the Icelandic market is potentially quite a big moment. Yeah. It's very good news. Um, uh, and... Yeah, very good for uh, for the company. Uh, sorry, I don't have the name up, but the, the company that was that was brought like that is uh, a huge influx of of money and and a, a really a, an avenue to get many of the very talented Icelandic musicians out into the wider world. Which is I suppose marvelous. on the opposite side of that, there's a danger that a, a very big entity with a lot of power and money could silence or in some way repress other competitors yeah yeah uh, and it does uh it does change the landscape for like indie music production companies and uh and that sort of thing i also i have some idea that like when you are when you are bound and you're contra contracted to a a major label like it is quite quite grueling work and it's uh it's often uh you know based on you're making a certain number of records which means that you end up churning out records that maybe shouldn't be churned out uh, and, you know, lose the love of the music. <laughs> uh, 
this, this this particular deal though it also it could um it could bring iceland to the world in a way that hasn't happened until now because this company alda music they own the the rights the back catalog to a huge collection of icelandic music from from decades that spans over decades and and it could mean yeah, I mean, it could mean a lot more play of Icelandic music abroad. Yeah. And that would be positive. Very positive. And then the next of Monsters and Men, the next Kaleo, might be able to be based in Iceland rather than just being from Iceland and being based somewhere else. Yeah, that was another another thing they mentioned uh, in the article. Uh, yeah, that... Um, and, a, and an element I hadn't considered, but yeah, that all these very talented people who have been discovered are leaving Iceland to do most of the work and to, uh, to tour and, uh, and have to work outside the country, essentially. But yeah, it would be incredibly good if they could, could stay in Iceland and, and continue supporting as well the local music scene. Exactly, yeah. And that would be good for all of us music fans, yeah. uh, certainly when it comes to live music and concerts. Absolutely. Which, to link back to the first story today, um, will hopefully not be too long away. Really looking forward yeah. to going to some concerts. Because <laughs> that has yeah. been one. Of, that has been one thing that's been sorely missed. Um, the sort of yeah, the, the live music scene. Hopefully, we get. Yeah. That. Yes. Well, okay. I think on that note, we might say that we're out of time. All right. The Week in Iceland will be back with you next Monday, the 7th of February on roof.is forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, through the Roof app and your favourite podcast platform. That just leaves me to thank my guest today, Jesper Christensen, and also Lydia Griffiths-Dottir for running the technical side of things. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we finished today's programme with a song called Mier Licht, and it's by Albatross. Bye for now. Spirit, yeah, we're hunting the way you live, I'm so sure.